What brings a community together? Shared insights? Shared conversations? Welcome to Open Door by Cox Communities, tackling the big questions on the minds of smart community business leaders. Welcome back to Open Door by Cox Communities, where we're providing information for you to consider when making decisions for your multifamily communities. Discover the latest trends and technologies that are making some multifamily business owners stand out. I'm your host, Bess Friedman of Brown Harris Stevens. Today, we're discussing solutions to access to multifamily housing that offer a win-win approach for both owners and residents. And I'm very pleased to be joined right now for the discussion by the founder and president of One App Guarantee, Tyrone Poole, and the president and CEO of Shelters to Shutters, David Williams. Hey guys, welcome Tyrone and David. Hope you guys are doing well. As you know, the issue of homelessness remains a huge problem in the United States, especially in cities like where I am in New York City, places like San Francisco. And I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation where they're homeless and they never imagined that they would be there. I just want to ask both of you like what you think, what sort of solutions we can deploy to try to help and solve homelessness and where you think we are right now. How does it stand our status in this country with homelessness? So either of you are free to answer that. All right. Well, I'll start off then. I will tell you that My involvement with homelessness is strictly around access to housing. So I know that homelessness is a problem that has a lot to do with mental health and other issues. That's not really my strong point. Also, it comes with real estate development and not having enough housing, which is developed. And that's, that's also really not my forte. It is really access. And I can tell you there's a, in my opinion, there's only two real issues with housing. It's just access and affordability. Can you access the housing? And is there enough affordable housing for you Mm. to get a part of? And when it comes to access, I will tell you that the one problem with access is the way we mitigate our risk. I mean, housing providers have to mitigate risk to be successful, but they do that by identifying the most vulnerable applicants and then denying them access to housing. And that creates gentrification. It blocks people out of housing. A whole bunch of unintended consequences, because I can guarantee you housing providers have no intentions. They just want to be successful. This is Mm -hmm. just an unintended byproduct, right? So if you want to really change access, you've got to change the way we mitigate risk in America. I like that. I agree with you. Couldn't agree more. Uh, David, I don't know if you have anything you want to add. Yeah, just real quick. A lot of the most visible signs of homelessness are the folks that are that are on the street, that are very often dealing with issues of addiction, mental illness. And yet that only represents 20% of the overall housing unstable population. 60% of all Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. And so it doesn't take a lot for life to go sideways. A job loss, a medical crisis, Heck, even an issue with a car can put people back. So if you lose your job, you lose your apartment, and now all of a sudden you're living out of your car or you're couch surfing with friends. And so while homelessness has become more visible in a way, 
it's still primarily a hidden problem in our country because housing has become so expensive and people's wages have not been able to keep up where they can live in a thriving, sustainable way. And I think what Tyrone alluded to is also another important point when it comes to homelessness is that so many of the people that are on the street are suffering from mental illness, drug addiction. There's so many and they need services. So all of that is, you know, something that as a country we have to work with and try to solve. And I think both of you deserve incredible credit for the work that you're doing. I know, Tyrone, you dealt with it yourself after you suffered an injury at the fire academy while training to become a firefighter. Can you tell us a little bit about your own journey and how it led you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I was situationally homeless, which is also, a, I'd like to clarify the difference between the chronic homeless and then the situationally homeless. So I was displaced because of an injury. I was hospitalized for nine months. That's having my leg elevated above my heart for 16 out of 24 hours a day. I mean, when I finally was released from the hospital, I was on crutches for 12 months. But during that process, the world continues to move forward. You know, I was evicted from my apartment because I wasn't able to pay rent. My car was repoed from the hospital's parking lot. There's a medical bills hitting my credit when I was still in the hospital. So the world moves forward. And when I finally got out, I was, based on my background check, I was impossible to rent to. I had done nothing wrong. I just had all the things hitting my credit. I had an eviction that was only nine months ago. I was high risk. And because of that, I got to learn what it was like to have to try to get back into housing. And I learned something that most housing advocates groups and a lot of people don't realize that, and this is a, a point that when I say it, it rubs some people the wrong way. But the truth is every single person that is homeless in a shelter today is there based on risk. It used to be 50 years ago, we had to create protected classes, right? Because people were homeless because they were black or they were homeless because they were gay or because they were had children. Or there was You could be locked out of housing for things that had nothing to do with risk. So we had to protect those things mm. because you should never be homeless for something that is not an identifier of risk. But today, the people who are, no one's homeless for those reasons. 100% of the people who are homeless are homeless because of risk. So now we've, we've done such a great job, yet we still have such a huge amount. We still have an access issue. And so I had to try to create something to solve for risk because when I was homeless, I went door to door, application, application, denial from denial. And when you look at it that way, you realize that the homelessness, as much as it sucks from a legal standpoint, it's fair. The people who are not able to access housing can't access housing because in an open and fair, equitable market, they are unable to compete against the other people in the market that have better credit and rental history and incomes and blah, blah. So they fall below and no business should be forced to take on high risk. That's just not sustainable, right? right. So it was a journey that I had to go through because I was reaching out, asking for help, feeling discriminated against all these reasons because I can't access housing. And in reality, I just couldn't compete in an open and fair market. So we had to create some solutions from that piece of the problem. So that was my own introduction to homelessness. Well, I think that's from a crisis you created or you built opportunity. And that's where a lot of things come from is when you have a situation like that. So bravo to you for that, Tyrone. And David, Shelters to Shutters is a national nonprofit organization 
that transitions individuals and families from homelessness to economic self-sufficiency. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the founding of Shelters to Shutters and how you became involved in this important mission? Right. Well, one day, Chris Finley, who's the CEO of Middleburg Communities, Mm -hmm. which develops and manages apartment complexes, mostly in the southeast part of the United States, came across an article about a, a gentleman who voluntarily became homeless. And it just shocked him in terms of he thought he knew what the issue was about, and it really opened his eyes to some other aspects of the issue. And what he then also dawned on him was here he was part of an industry that was struggling to find entry-level talent in positions like maintenance and leasing and groundskeeping, and was also in the business of housing people. And the industry actually has a built-in industry discount for people to live on site. Unfortunately, most of the times that discount, it's not enough that allows an individual to work and live at the same place. But he also felt like with the turnover in these entry-level jobs that companies were spending a lot of money with that kind of churn. They were just spending it in different places. And that if there was a little bit of an enhanced discount that enabled people to stay longer in their jobs and to to see it as a potential career where they could move up because it's an industry that does do a lot of promotion from within, that this could be a win-win solution for everybody involved. And so he started Shelters to Shutters with the idea of identifying people that were situationally homeless. So individuals like Tyrone, who had marketable skills, who just circumstances occurred that that put them in a situation where nobody was interested in taking a risk on them. And so he started with his own company. They began hiring individuals in these positions, placing them in those apartment complexes that they managed, increasing the housing discount. And he did that on his own for a number of years. And then I got involved a couple of years ago where I had heard about it from a mutual friend and just felt like it was a wonderful model that just nobody had heard about but for a certain segment was helping people in the right way in that we were talking about full-time jobs. Right now, we're averaging over $18 an hour for the people that are going into these jobs. They're full-time jobs with benefits. The housing discount can be anywhere from 20 to 80%. And we have a partnership with Court Furniture that furnishes the apartment. We provide a computer or a mentor and all that kind of stuff. And so it's kind of an entryway into hopefully a career, but certainly a way out of living in a car, living in a shelter, or couch surfing with friends. And so that's how it started, and that's how I got involved. And we're trying to launch around the country. We launched in five cities in 2021 and then four cities in 2022. And our vision is to go into five cities a year over the next five years. That's fantastic, really. Tyrone, you founded One App Guarantee while living at a shelter. So tell us how you developed One App Guarantee. Mm -hmm and how owners can use this to mitigate some of the risks you were speaking about earlier. Yeah, no, absolutely. So first I developed a product that could let renters see every place they qualified, right? It was called OneApp. And we went out and collected screening criteria of every management company. And we said, hey, pull your background check on my app and it will show you out of almost every management company in Oregon, which is the first state we launched, go ahead and see where you qualify. And what we learned was that a couple things, one, there were some people who had virtually no opportunity. And the data was eye-opening. For example, we learned that if you have an eviction in the state of Oregon within the last 12 months, you qualify for less than 1% of housing. 
we learned that if you made two times the rent, only 6% of management companies that represented 1% of units actually would rent to you. So three times the rent was almost the standard. It was like 90% of management companies are higher, right? So we basically was able to run a renter's profile and be like, hey, you're a single mother, have this income, have one eviction or blah, and you would see that they qualified nowhere. And so at the beginning, a lot of cities, they shame housing providers and say, you guys are being too strict. But when I got to meet housing providers, I didn't just make assumptions. Like I sat with them, I sat across the table and especially management companies. And I learned a lot. You know, I learned that not only can a business not be sustainable or should never be asked to make poor financial decisions, just to be like the law should not force me to make poor financial decisions. But we learned that as property management companies, they actually had a fiduciary responsibility to their owners that if you have three applicants, you need to take the most promising applicant. Right. Don't take the applicant that's going to cost me revenue, right? So it wasn't even a choice. They had a responsibility. So I was able to walk into a homeless shelter after having my eyes kind of opened. And I could look at people and look at the real problem and say, you're here because you can't compete in the market. That eviction that you got or the fact that you're so vulnerable that if your babysitter didn't show up, that's what causes eviction. Or your car broke down or you got a speeding ticket. Or these things happened and it cost you to lose your housing. And that level of vulnerability is not a good decision for housing providers. So how do I get you to compete against somebody who has a virtually no risk? Mm. Right. And that was what I had to come up with. So we found that in 2019, based on my one app, matching software, 71% of every denial that took place in Oregon would have been approved if they had a cosigner. It was already a built-in solution to solve for access to housing, but less than 2% of people apply with a cosigner. Mm. And to be honest, the only people who did were affluent white children. Those were the only people who had access to a cosigner. So we were like, what if we cosign for all of the people who were locked out? Because a cosigner, for those who may not know, is basically somebody who is very low risk, right? That mm. can mitigate the risk for somebody who's high risk. And so we came out with a cosigner product and we got a bunch of our management companies locally to say, hey, if we signed out a line and cover the risk. Would you rent to them? And they're like, well, yeah, if they don't come with risk, because that's the only problem left, yeah. right? And now we are doing like 4,000 a year that we wow. cosign for. So it's uh, been wonderful. That's transformative for people, you know, yes. for that, that fix. There's 71%. I mean, think about that. That gives opportunity to so many people. So good for you. Again, yeah. where crisis or issue, that's what you came up with this. You invented that. David, oftentimes when it comes to homelessness, people can be caught in a vicious cycle or what they call a catch-22 where you can't get a job without an address, et cetera, and you can't get an address without a job. How does shelters to shutters work to break that cycle? Right. Well, and I think that's the beauty of the model is that it's hard to do one. It's kind of the chicken and the egg thing, as you just described. And so in our case, it's that it happens simultaneously. And so as we work with individuals, we'll assess them. We'll do a background check. We'll assess them. We'll upskill them. We, they go on to an online learning platform. We'll help them with their resume. We'll do some job coaching. But ultimately, it's around getting them ready for one of these jobs if it's something that they want to do. At the same time, we have a whole host of industry partners across the country 
that have open positions. And so when a position becomes open, we will put candidates in front of them with the idea that if they're made an offer, that there's a housing component that comes along with that. And that that percentage is, we negotiate that. We really don't want their rent to be more than 30% of their gross income. It's a pretty standard ratio. And so that's what we do. And we work with them to do that. And the long story short is that both occur at the same time. So as they receive their job offer, they're also receiving a lease to an apartment. And so they're moving in. And ideally, they're working in the complex that they're living in, which is something that the industry wants. Sometimes it's something that the participant doesn't necessarily want because it's like you're never off. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's no division. And sometimes that's not good. Right, right. So we do have certain individuals that'll live close by in another property instead. But that's the concept that housing and employment are linked and it's very hard to get one without the other. And when somebody's missing both, if they're, and most of the folks that we work with, they're working somewhere. It's just that they're working part-time, their hours are not stable, they don't have benefits, they don't have enough money to be able to sustain themselves. And so again, that's where full-time job benefits housing on terms they can afford to pay. You put that together and it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, it changes people's lives. That's for sure. Well, Tyrone, during the pandemic, which wreaked havoc on so many people, but wreaked havoc on the housing and jobs market. And in its wake, the need for one app guarantee is greater than ever. Talk to us a little bit about how the pandemic made housing providers more risk averse than ever before. Instability is the opposite of what housing providers want, right? From development all the way to rents, stability is the key to the longevity game of of real estate. Mm. And that's the opposite of what they got during the pandemic. You get applicants who it's like, my income is this $350 unemployment plus this $600 bonus that I get every week. But it's like, how long does that last? Who knows? It could be 90 more days. It could be two years. There's no clue on what's happening. We don't know when jobs are coming back. We don't know. And at the end of the day, housing providers were terrified. And a lot of them took significant losses. I know cities did the best they could to make up for some of the losses. But some of them took losses. So not only just the fear that comes along with aftermath of that, it's like, I am going to be more risk adverse than ever And one of the issues is housing providers don't do a good job of mitigating risk. Their process is actually poor. Mm. I know because I co-sign for a ton of people who they would say are high risk and our default rate is around 10%, right? So I'm like 10 out of every 100 people I co-sign for defaulted, which means you were wrong 90% of the time when you denied this person. Right, right. And then we learned that a bunch of the things that they think leads to default has nothing to do with risk, right? So you're like, you don't actually have a formula correct here. But at the end of the day, they do things like, you know what, we're going to increase our credit requirements to tighten up our criteria so we don't take as many losses. Okay. You upped it from 600 to 650. So whether you think your default rate will be now, there's no actual logic behind it, but it has a negative impact on the housing access, right? So now these renters are denied at a much higher rate for a lot of baloney most of the time, but still, that's the aftermath of the pandemic and another rent hike. You guys saw I me; mean, the world seen the increase in rents after the aftermath Crazy of the pandemic. What happened. We felt that greatly in New York City. 
oh, it's insane. Like everybody went back to their regular jobs with their regular incomes, <laughs> but their housing. Yeah, went way up. I mean, <laughs> yes. I think we're seeing some reconciliation now, but. Yeah, a little bit. Yes. It was nuts. So we, uh, the need for one app was on both sides of the table. We had housing providers that were like, I don't know how to pick a renter anymore. Because before, if you were even a little weary about thinking of a business that was co-signing for people, I was like, you know what? I'm not an early adopter on that. I'll come back around later when it's been more proven. Mm. It turned into like, it's better than what we're doing now, right? So we were able to really pick up a lot of doors during a time where most people couldn't pitch a management company. They were actually reaching out to us in a lot of occasions. And then from a renter standpoint, it was like access is harder than ever before. And so people went to our website to see the book of business, right? Like here's our one app, we call them now free housing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, here's this huge database of 150,000 doors that will rent to me and across all these states, even with my eviction I got during the pandemic or my credit hit that I took during the pandemic. So it kind of bridges the gap between both. That's great. That's so good. The work you do is so meaningful. David, when it comes to alleviating homelessness, one thing that many people don't realize is that for every individual that finds housing, it not only changes a life forever, but also saves a local community over $35,000 in estimated expenses. Talk to us a little bit about the associated costs of homelessness for communities and how addressing the problem also creates healthier, more stable neighborhoods. Yeah, you know, that $35,000, I actually think that's a low number. I think you do? I do. So if somebody's going to be at a shelter for some period of time, the the food and the housing and the all that, but I would still submit that the biggest cost, I believe with all this is the opportunity cost. And that's what I love about our work in terms of people being able to get into jobs and to add to their community. These are individuals who then end up paying taxes and paying rent and buying groceries and adding value to their company and to their community and all these things. And all so much of that is lost when an individual or a family is housed in a shelter. And a shelter is a whole lot better than being on the street, but it's not providing the opportunity for them to be productive members of society that are adding great value and living the lives that they deserve to live. And so I think the 35,000 is, I think it's small. And if you look at our country right now, I mean, the jobs, what do we have? 11 million jobs that we can't fill. And so we need to do everything we can as a country to be able to upskill individuals, to be able to take on these jobs and to be able to progress in their career. I agree. David, for people who are interested in getting involved with Shelters to Shutters, the program, what do you recommend they do? So I'd recommend we just go to our website, shelterstoshutters.org, and we have a lot of opportunities there. Like most nonprofit organizations, we rely a lot on volunteers to be job coaches, to be mentors, to serve on our local boards, to connect us with somebody in the industry. It's still our name. When you say the word shelter, even when you say the word shutter, you shutter a business, you shutter windows when a storm is coming. You know, the industry, to Tyrone's point about risk, I mean, everybody thinks about risk. And so the first thought that a lot of times industry partners think about is, okay, wait a second, you're asking me to hire a person that's living in a shelter. You're asking them to live in this apartment that I own. And you're asking me to have them go into other people's apartments and fix things. And so when your perception of 
the homeless, and it's typically a negative one. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's a hard barrier to overcome. And so I think that's just something that we have to continue to work on because what we see are individuals that are just looking for a second chance. They got knocked off their horse and they're motivated. And actually what we see is that there's there's actually a stickiness to these individuals because it's not lost on them. I say given, but that they have earned Mm -hmm. an opportunity to be in this job and be in the apartment and be in an industry that's growing, it's not lost on them. And so while nobody's track record is ever perfect, we have individuals that it doesn't work out. But That's life. Yeah, but the vast majority do. Our head of marketing was just down in Atlanta. We had three individuals who were celebrating their one-year graduation. So they'd been in their job for a year. And again, a lot of these jobs, people are, it's a six-month average tenure a lot of these entry-level jobs, there's a lot of churn in it. And so she was going down to interview these three individuals. And the problem was she was only able to interview two of them because the third person was actually on a plane flying to another industry partner to interview for a management role. Mm. Now, if you just think about what that woman was doing, the situation that she was mm-hmm. in a year before, and now she's interviewing for a management role, which in fact she got, that just shows the potential that individuals have. Everybody does. I mean, I think this country was founded on second chances, third chances, you know, redemption and opportunity where nobody's perfect and we have to take care of people, especially those who are less fortunate and don't have the sort of net around them that so mm-hmm. many people do have. It's our obligation to sort of do that. Tyrone, for property owners who want to get involved with the one app guarantee, how do they go about doing that? You also go to the website. That's a really good way to do it. Go to the website, find out our number, contact us, and we will get back to you ASAP. We're very similar to David in that sense. The one difference is, well, actually, I don't know. I was going to ask you that, David, if if you do any state. Like I own some properties in Oregon. I have some close management companies in Oregon, but I don't know if you're in this market yet. So I don't know if anybody can do it. Not yet, but we'd love (laughs) to get there. Yeah, well, well, one thing about one app, it is all 50 states. So it doesn't matter what state you're in. You can be any state, any market. Let us know. We'll set you up. We have our listings in that market and people will start coming in. And you can also start sending your denied traffic through our engine, which gives them an instant yay or nay during the application process. Each of you have such credible stories and have made such a difference and continue to do that every day. So I really applaud you for that. And thank you. And I would love if each of you could share, if you have a story, a story can be a little story, a little ditty, something about your experience with what you've been doing with Shelters to Shutters or the One App Guarantee or you know anything that you could share with us that I think would connect with people. So David, I don't know if you have anything you've thought of that you might want to share. Just share the story of the very first person Shelters to Shutters ever, ever placed. She was a, a mother of four in Charlotte. And Middleburg Communities was the only one that was doing this at the time, but they hired her and she ultimately progressed and was in a management position with Middleburg when she decided to go into a different industry. But it was it was just a story of someone that was in a tough spot and was given an opportunity again at an entry level and just through a lot of grit, just kind of kept at it and did really, really well for herself. So the organization started off with just an amazing model of exhibit A of this is what we're striving for. Yeah. I think that was a sign early on that 
this idea actually could work. That's that's love that. I love that. Tyrone, what about you? Mine's think you'll really appreciate it. There was a young woman that I met with at a shelter and she had applied, I don't know how many times, and she had used my matching software the first time and got into a place and she wasn't successful. And it's one of the reasons I no longer push the matching search engine anymore because of the fact that the problem of choice is not in that. People, when you use my matching software, you live where you're qualified and people cannot choose to live that way. They need their communities. They need to be able to build relationships with their fans, families, neighbors, church, you know, all of that. And when you take somebody out of their community and say, hey, where you want to live, you don't have any opportunity. But if you want to 30 minutes away, this little house here will approve you. People can't live like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but there was one woman that I, I helped find a place with a guarantee. And I was doing a video on guarantees and I was like, oh, I want to follow up with her and see how she's doing. Maybe she'll be a great person to do a little one minute video. And so I followed up with her and she came into the office and she's like in a rush. And I'm like, oh, it's not a good time. She's like, I wanted to come help you, but I want to watch the Mayweather fight. Now I'm like, this is a $200 fight, right? I'm like, I know your income level and my wife won't even let me get this fight. And at the end of the interview, I'm like, how are you able to, you know, where are you watching this fight at? said, you ordered the fight? And she said, no, it's at my neighbor's house. This is $5 in a bottle. And I was like, that's community. Yep. That's taking care of each other. Yep. You know? yep. That's how you do it. That's how yep. you do it. I was Love like, so you got to go buy a bottle? And she's like, nope, it can be any bottle in the house. Half drank, half empty, just $5 in a bottle. And that's, that's how you get into the fight. And you're in. Yep. I love it. I, I love the it. opportunity that you get with Kimmy. And she's been far more successful when she got to choose where she wanted to live because I co-signed anywhere versus yeah. having to force to live where the pins was green on my matching system. So I love that. That's so great. Big difference. We're wrapping up here. Is there anything I want to let you guys have any final thoughts or any pearls of wisdom or anything else you want to share before we say goodbye? Because this has been such a meaningful show and I want to thank you for that. But Tyrone? Yeah, one quick thing. I just want housing providers to understand that the way that they try to identify risk is actually, they're wrong 90% of the time, right? So Actually, yeah. Yeah. And the reason behind it is that what you're trying to accomplish when you screen somebody is identify their level of vulnerability, right? Or level of risk. And when you see what makes a person vulnerable, it's three different pillars in their life, right? It's their community strength. It's their money, asset savings, and it's their relationship to government. And it's really difficult to screen for that because when everybody runs in the hard times and they hit everybody, but when you get hard times, do you have a great, strong community, which is defined by friends, family, religious organization? Do you have a strong relationship with some type of municipality or nonprofit? Or do you have a bunch of savings and money in the bank? David talked about earlier, a lot of people in rental spaces ain't coming with that 60%. I guarantee if you went rental properties, you're looking at 90%, Mm. probably people who don't have $1,000. I guarantee you the people who do have it are in the home ownership side of the world. So they don't have savings. And so you really got to try to define the community strength, the relationship to government. And that is, it's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot to screen against. So I do push people to say, hey, I can promise you that you can be equally as profitable without the unintended consequences. There's finally a different alternative in the space. And so reach out, don't hesitate, and we can chop it up at any point. 
Thank you, Tyrone. Thank yeah. you so much. And David, any closing thoughts, ideas? Sure. I've always loved the quote from Margaret Mead, never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world. It's the only thing that ever has. I love and, that. Love yeah. it. And so I think that I've been in the nonprofit sector for a really long time. And the organizations that I have been with, and some of them are really big ones, the uh, Food Bank, Habitat for Humanity, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, they all started because a single person or a very small group of people, and really not even people with big titles, or mm-hmm. they just, they had a passion around something and they chose to take action. And so my sense is that people listening to this podcast are probably a little bit better than average in terms of their networks and their access to resources and, and all of that. But I would say that even for those who don't feel that way, that one person can can do something. They can do a lot. And mm-hmm. that's it's actually how we've gone into every city that we've launched into. Somebody came along and said, I would love this program in Phoenix or in Orlando or in Charleston. Mm-hmm. And then we were able to, to make it go. So if there's anybody that does want to get involved, you just have to take that first step forward. Yeah, I mean, I always say all progress is incremental. Like nothing happens in like overnight, and right. it ta- it's all those little steps. And so, I think that's a great quote. And gentlemen, what a wonderful show! Thank you for your time sharing, and thank you for yeah. the work that you do to make the world a better place, which is what you do. So, happy New Year! A little bit late to both of you, and thank you, thank you so much. Be well. Thank you. Yes, you too. Bye, guys. Thanks again to Tyrone and David for being on the show today and discussing solutions to access to multifamily housing. You can learn more about the amazing work that Shelters to Shutters and One App Guarantee are doing on their websites. It's sheltersto-shutters.org and oneappguarantee.com. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. I'm Bess Friedman, and this has been Open Door, brought to you by Cox Communities.